This is the Dreadful Podcast from TV Podcast Industries, and we are talking all about Lovecraft Country, Season 1, Episode 4, A History of Violence. When the hell did I go wrong with you, boy? Every time I tell you to do something, you do the exact opposite. I told you to stay away from this grand wizardry shit. You want to run chest first into some magical treasure hunt like a goddamn fool. No wonder you're too sweet on each other. Foolish and crazy go well together. Pioneering. You gonna help us or not? What do you think happens when you find Titus's pages? What happens if we don't? Christina was at my house. And we need to be able to defend ourselves. Either one of y'all been listening to the news? Where the Reds in this fight? That means outnumbered, outgunned, fumbling to catch up. We already got one large gun in force. You want the other 34? How you know there's 34 larges? Welcome back, fellow Dreadfuls, to the Dreadful Podcast from TV Podcast Industries. We are here looking at a history of violence, which is episode four in this season of Lovecraft Country. I am one of your petrified hosts, John. I am your other host, Derek. I had to have a glass of wine after this episode, John. This was uh, massive, uh, really interesting, really intriguing, really uh complex um hopefully we can guide our wonderful listeners through the episode and hopefully we've made enough sense of it to uh, well, make a podcast that makes sense <laughs> well lucky you because i drown myself in a barrel of wine after this um because yes <laughs> it was uh yeah it was really really good mm-hmm. again another really nice piece of tv making here from uh the makers and the Actors in Lovecraft Country. Absolutely. Yes, it w- took us on our Indiana Jones fix, True. for one. It also taught us uh, about a history of violence and, uh, yes, yeah, some really interesting stuff and development of uh, the the story around the Braithwaites, for sure, uh, on this one. Uh, mm-hmm. Really did enjoy it. But welcome, fellow Dreadfuls, to our spoiler-filled discussion here. and yep. um, We are very pleased to have you on board. You can subscribe to us over on tvpodcastindustries.com and, of course, just search TV Podcast Industries on your favorite podcast catcher, mm-hmm. uh, whether that be evil or good, uh, and you can s- subscribe to us there. Please rate us uh, or leave a review. Any support uh, from your continued listening of the dreadful podcast and of course tv podcast industries is really really appreciated and of course we're also over on patreon just go to patreon.com forward slash tv podcast industries and if you want to you can support us over on patreon as well Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah really good to have you on board for our coverage of lovecraft country if you're just listening to us over on the dreadfulpodcast.com or on our dreadful podcast feed as john mentioned you can go over to tv podcast industries because we've just started our coverage of the boys on amazon prime a very very different show but a little nice antithesis to the darkness of lovecraft country i think uh to some of the uh more um 
horror-filled elements of Lovecraft Country, let's say. Uh, it's definitely as bloody as uh, as Lovecraft Country over in The Boys. <laughs> but we have released our coverage of the first three episodes of Season 2 of The Boys over on our main feed on TV Podcast Industries. So if you want to get access to all of our coverage, uh, go over there, uh, subscribe on TV Podcast Industries, and you'll get access to that and our Lovecraft Country podcasts every week as well. Yes, I'd really love to know the blood balance, actually, between <laughs> uh, the two shows. You know, how... Yeah. Many uh, liters of blood were used in each show and, mm-hmm. and balanced it up. I always remember, I've probably mentioned this before, but my mum going to see Titus Andronicus, the oh, Shakespeare yeah. play at the Globe in London, um, where I think that was the uh, most blood used in a theatre production ever because, yes, Titus, maybe uh, something in the name here, mm-hmm. is... Um, a very, very violent play and was, uh, by all accounts, at least from Shakespeare's point of view, um, a very, very violent person. Uh, but yes, I'd love to know the blood count here. I keep um, meaning to ask her, did, was there a splash zone? Did she have to wear like, you know, one of those... Um, like, <laughs> like going to Niagara Falls. The raincoat, because I know, I know uh, <laughs> this is not in the same vein as all, but I know the uh, the Ash uh, versus Evil Dead, the Evil Dead musical has a splash zone where everybody gets covered in blood in the first three rows. So <laughs> just wondering if Tyson... I think it like probably well. did, given that you're stood right next to the stage... Uh-huh. Uh, and of course, if you like the taste of sugary corn syrup, <laughs> then uh, I think it would be perfect. Open your mouth. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Excellent. We're going to start off the podcast this week with another wonderful review from Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to uh, Mom 100 who left us a review over on Apple Podcasts. If you want to leave us a review, pop on over to Apple Podcasts, find TV Podcast Industries and pop a review in there for us. We'd love to hear uh, your review of the show as well. Shyamam100 says, mystified by some TV shows, listen here for fun and intelligent discussions. Derek, John and Chris will intelligently discuss your favourite TV shows and help you make sense of them. Yes, I said discuss, not recap. If you're looking for intelligent, interactive and humorous discussion of different shows, look no further. They cover a variety of shows, Watchmen, The Boys, The Witcher, Star Trek Picard, The Umbrella Academy, Lovecraft Country and on and on. The guys also often have fun contests that go along with the series. Three Irish guys, no profanity and informative podcasting. What more could you want? Tune into TV Podcast Industries. Try Mom 100. That's a fantastic little advert for our show, isn't it? Absolutely. Thank Thank you you. so much, Chai Mom 100. Um, That's really nice of you to say. And I think, you know, the reason why we say please subscribe, rate us, leave a review is it's really good feedback for Mm -hmm. us that we are in some ways on the right track with what we're we're looking to do. You know, we've always said that we want to discuss um, TV shows first and foremost rather than review them. We want to come from that position that nobody sets out to have that show that just nosedives. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't intend to make crap. It it is (laughs) art and it is different views and different um, interpretations of what's presented. uh, And we always give the benefit of the doubt. And even if we do criticize, we do it in good spirits. And um, I think that our only really negative review or discussion, I should say, Mm. that we've really ever done was probably for uh, the Fantastic Four, Fan Four Stick, um, because, yeah, it's just the way it was. Absolutely, yeah, but we will always point out when something's not not hanging right or not. Yeah, exactly. Not looking right. But, yeah, we absolutely will look at the series as a whole, even though we do episode-by-episode coverage of our our shows. uh, We do really enjoy chatting about what was presented and what the intent 
science was behind it and what the influences were behind it, that kind of stuff. So that's that's our intent of the podcast. So thanks so much, Child Mom 100. Uh, as I said, if you want to leave a review for us on any podcast catcher, uh, pop it on there. If you live outside of the US or um, if you uh, have put it onto a podcast catcher and we haven't read it out, pop us over an email and let us know where you left us a review. We'd love to uh, we'd love to read it as well. If you want to send any other feedback to us about any of the shows we cover, email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. We'll pick it up and we'll read it and discuss it on the show. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and of course, you can leave uh, voicemail or audio if you go over to tvpodcastindustries.com. And there on the right-hand side uh, is the tab to leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts, mm-hmm. theories, or discussion points for uh, any of the shows that we cover. Absolutely. So yeah, fire away with your dulcet tones. But let's get into A History of Violence, which is episode four of Lovecraft Country. Mm-hmm. Derek, what are some of the episode details here? Yes, the episode was directed by Victoria Mahoney. Uh, she directed lots of TV shows over the years, but recently was the second unit director on Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. So a massive movie as well. Yeah, big stuff here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think coming into big stuff uh, on the small screen as well yeah. with this show. Yeah, super uh, budget uh, show on HBO for Livecraft Country as well. So it kind of feels like a movie every week at the moment. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, the teleplay, once again, was written by showrunner Misha Green uh, from a story by Wes Taylor. Uh, he's an executive story editor on the show show itself and also worked as a story editor over on billions on hbo oh billions Mm -hmm. if only they were in my pocket (laughs) that would be nice that would be nice (laughs) but john do you want to tell us what they all gave us with the synopsis for this episode let's see if we can make the entire show make sense in a couple of sentences what do you think sure (laughs) montrose is drinking as he tries to confront both the pain of george's death and the knowledge he has consumed from the bylaws of the sons of adam Mm. After Christina Braithwaite mysteriously shows up at her doorstep, Letty confronts Atticus about his attempt to kill Christina and his plan to surreptitiously return to Florida. Later, in search of missing pages to a crucial text from the Book of Adam, Letty, Tick and Montrose decide to head to Boston to find the vault of Titus Braithwaite and are joined by Hippolyta, Diana and Tree on the journey. At the Boston Museum, an unexpected adventure ensues as codes, puzzles, trials and tests face our heroes in the cavernous vault of Titus Braithwaite as they seek the ancient scrolls and try to stay alive. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, back in Chicago, a handsome stranger nurses Ruby's disappointment over a squandered job opportunity and at Letty's house on the north side, Atticus, Letty and Montrose, along with an ancient hermaphrodite, Exit the elevator. Yes, exit the elevator from Boston that has led them back to the house in Chicago. This is something that's going to probably confuse uh, most viewers. I think I get it. Uh, We've had a little discussion (laughs) after watching the episode, and we hope we can uh, present some clarification of what we think has happened <laughs> in here i'm sure there'll be more explanation next time but uh, i know there were a lot of questions at the end of the last episode the murder house episode where the bodies kind of appeared uh underneath the house um with this huge cavernous vault underneath it and i guess oh, that vaulty area is in chicago or it was more not? tunnels sure. L- yeah. there's tunnels under letty's home yeah. in um in chicago and it was just it was so good. I loved the fact that all of a sudden 
um, as these tunnels, which you still kind of think are somewhere under the city of Boston, mm-hmm. um, are filling up with water. Um, lo and behold, one of the the uh, three missing uh, men who had broken into Letty's house mm-hmm. uh, in the last episode floats on by, uh, and she still manages to recognize his distorted, bloody uh, face. Yeah. And then I think it's the T-shirt that she recognizes. Yeah, I yet. think having then the the elevator um, there, it uh, that was just great. I love that because <laughs> you're just like. Okay. Well, that's weird. Um, and yeah. the, these two points are um, connected. It, it felt to me almost a bit like the idea of ley lines that you have mm-hmm. uh, in the UK. I think you yeah, they have them as well in, in, in the yeah, yeah in yeah. in the US. But that idea of uh, lines of magical mystical power that sort of uh, crisscross uh, the globe mm-hmm. um it, it it feels a bit like that yes. um to me and uh, i thought that was awesome yes absolutely yeah, you, you should have known they're worldwide john because dr strange mentions the ley lines there he in does York, doesn't he yes your favorite comic book I, I suppose it's always the the only ley line i feel as though I know is the one that goes past Glastonbury. Of course, of course. I'm sure there's one near Stonehenge as well, right? That's, well, that's, that's yeah, it's, yeah, it's close by, things. yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. But it's kind of in there, but like, in which direction? No idea. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I also remember them being dis- described around New York as well. Yes. Maybe it was in Ghostbusters, actually. Nope. That was where the Sanctum Sanctorum from Doctor Strange was, John. So again, Doctor Strange. <laughs> okay. And yeah. I'm a fan. And wow. That's your favorite comic book character. <laughs> exactly. I love it. I love Never it. mind. <laughs> Let's get into our discussion about this episode of Lovecraft Country, though, John. Um, you're going to kick us off with our adventure segment i think of of the episode because this episode was so heavy on adventure i was so excited i could really i could hear the theme of indiana jones playing in my oh, mind absolutely and there was definitely touches of it in the soundtrack as well and also <laughs> you know whilst you didn't like the reference there were touches of national treasure as certainly well, were yeah with uh old nicholas uh going on as well nicholas cage yes yes, yes. Uh, the occasionally amazing occasionally wonderful i occasionally love national weird, treasure uh, guy yeah I love National Treasure. That's true. I don't know when um, you've showed me National Treasure yet. I don't think I've gotten through the full uh, movie yet. So no. maybe this might inspire me too. If Lovecraft <laughs> Country has inspired me to watch National Treasure and it's an awful film, it'll be the only thing I've disliked so far this season from Lovecraft Country. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my my main point is, you know, it, Indiana Jones and National Treasure collide. The search for uh, the vault of... Titus Braithwaite mm-hmm. and the pages, these missing pages of the book of Adam, uh, come crashing together in this lovely homage, in a, in a sense, yeah. to uh, those explorer movies. Um, I suppose, yeah, it, it is obviously comes with, I think, a lot of caveats. But you know, uh, I really, I really liked the idea. It is of its time as well. You know, I. George Lucas with Indiana Jones always referred back to those uh, matinee serials mm-hmm. of action heroes back in the 1930s and 1940s uh, that inspired Indiana Jones. And that idea of uh, exploring and archaeology, um, I think also, and interestingly, uh, George Lucas also talks about um, the 20th century archaeologists like a person called Hiram Bingman, um, an American academic and explorer 
who effectively made public the existence of the Inca citadel in South America, Machu Picchu. Oh, wow. um, and so I thought that the house in Chicago was owned by Hiram mm-hmm. uh, Winthrop. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, it may not be any connection whatsoever, mm-hmm. but the fact that this was so much around um, uh, exploration and the... You know, finding these scrolls uh, was uh, kind of interesting. I wondered if there was some kind of link there. Uh, indeed, yeah, that's an interesting idea. I wonder if they just took the name uh, from Hiram Hiram uh, Bingham Bingaman. Is that it? Uh, I wonder if they took that first name and just combined it into this fictional story. So there's a little reference point to someone. Yeah. Yet they're not destroying his memory by some of the ways they describe uh, Hiram uh, Winthrop in the show. Maybe. No, but I, I mean, I, I thought it was just really nicely done um and certainly as they head to the the museum in boston yeah which um titus was on the board for and there's this talk of him having extensive works done on uh the the museum um at some point and i loved this whole um treasure hunt effectively for the scrolls underneath uh, what well at least what we think initially as being underneath the museum in boston yeah and th- you know there's one slight reference where letty says we've been walking for about 20 minutes now and uh-huh. um, so you know they're big but it, it comes to this huge chasm this i mean it looks like the mariana trench or, or something <laughs> oh, or maybe cthulhu is kind of down there waiting to mm. kind of pop up uh, the odd tentacle well, absolutely we're getting uh, lord of the rings vibes yes. maybe with uh, with the balrog from uh, from lord of the rings Definitely. You know, the kind of level of uh, of of chasm that's there yeah but i i loved all these um these these different elements as they get to where the scroll is you know mm-hmm. you you have the well, which tunnel do I take? You have that mystery and the, the, there's a clue uh, on the ceiling. You then come to uh, even just finding the vault. Yeah. So the, finding the sure. vault to me, um, it was that obvious location. It was where Titus Braithwaite's uh, statue was. And it, it reminded me of The Last Crusade with the 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 entrance to the the tomb uh in the library yeah. uh, and the x marks the spot exactly. you know that obvious thing and then you have the opening of this where montrose says turn off your torches and the moonlight comes through and does this pathway of light to one of the uh alligators or crocodile that mm-hmm. is aside um titus's statue and Lassie just moves the, the the tooth and the vault opens. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this to me felt like um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, very reminiscent of Indiana Jones with the staff yeah. to see yeah. where the location of uh, the um, Ark of the Covenant is. Yeah. You have then, you know, flooded vaults. Mm-hmm. Uh, and importantly, you have this huge chasm um, and this idea of that leap of faith from the last crusade oh yes that's uh, right yeah. but in this case it's a dodgy looking uh uh piece of wood that seems to go way too far than it could yeah 
And um, <laughs> I, I just I'm attached to even even having two people standing on a board that thin, you're expecting <laughs> exactly. it to just snap. So so realizing that it's a magic board as the as the episode goes on, as it starts to disappear behind them, you kind of go, oh, okay, right. So this isn't just a two by four that people but, have to walk across. But only once yeah. it just keeps going. Yeah. At, I think what's really good here is they tie themselves all together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lessie goes first, you know, brave lady, uh, and at the vanguard. Um, that not only is this a narrow bit of wood across a seemingly endless drop, but there is a huge kind of axe swinging in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Tick comes across, and they work out to you know time it and jump through. And then all of a sudden the board starts to disappear. Yeah. And you have, you have Montrose joining them. They're all on this board with a code to solve, uh, which ultimately and luckily for them, um, is something that Montrose has been reading as he's kind of been wallowing in his apartment. Yeah. Um, and he's been reading, uh, the bylaws of the sons of Adams and the opening page is all about how, um, Adam is pure, Eve is evil, she brings in monsters, God smites Eve, exactly. uh, like really, and he's able to uh, provide that code to open the door to go through. Absolutely, because I love how he describes it. He he basically says, Montrose goes, I read the book, I committed it to memory, and then I burnt it, which basically, it's like that equivalent of, well, I've got the keys now, so they can't kill me. It's kind, yeah, of, it's kind exactly. of this idea that's, that's coming in from Montrose. And um, then you have... The it, it's almost uh, the temple of doom thing with the the door that you have to put your whole arm into, mm-hmm. uh, and rather than there being bugs and spiders and um, all of that kind of stuff, it's the it's it's almost like a blood sampler where it's checking to see exactly. that you are a either Titus or a or bloodline of Titus, um, yeah. and this opens up this trap door. Uh, and then you. So what happens? Sorry, quickly. Just what happens if you don't have the right blood type? Because we see the guy's arm sticking out of it. Does another like massive soul come down and chop off the rest of your body from your arm? It, possibly, is, or is a trapdoor opens from below right. and they and fall into another cavernous pit, leaving your arm behind. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Or a Shoggoth is released and decides to have a good old yeah. munch. Because something else we noticed in that scene as well is that when Tick is putting his hand in there, he takes the ring from his pocket, the one that Christina gave yes. him in the last episode. Sorry, in the second episode, uh, he still has that ring. I think we mentioned last week you, you'd noticed that he'd taken the ring off. But of course, he's not going to wear this ring. It's it's representative of, of a society he doesn't want to belong to. But he does have it with him, at least. Um, and realistically, all the way from the beginning of this episode... Christina's the one that's pushing them on the whole path here. She's the one that told them about the pages. They've both done their research based on everything that happened in this in the Book of Adam uh, and the the group that's uh, that's led by the Book of Adam, I suppose. Um, so it is all from Christina's push as well as kind of led them to this this moment, and she's also given them the tools that allow allow them to get in through it as well. Definitely, so, I, I like the fact that. Atticus had the foresight as well to bring that ring along mm. because yeah we didn't see it in the last episode and you are just kind of thinking has he kept it you know has he thrown it away um what is it but um mm-hmm. and I, I think certainly that that feeds into um his evolving view of Christina as mm-hmm. well like I think um something that you're going to talk about for sure and I'll leave it to you because it's to do with okay. your theory yep. So I don't want to steal that thunder. Yeah. But um, 
Yes, this trapdoor opens and we go into this wonderful world of one-eyed Willy-esque uh, goonies uh, with the, the pirate ship, with pirates of the Caribbean. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, to an extent. You right. know, it, it, it's, it's in a captain's quarters uh, yeah. of uh, an old... 18th century wooden ship, yeah, effectively. Uh, well, know, that's what it looks like for sure. It's why it feels, yeah, certainly there's some elements like that. But again, that could be because we have those influences and we have seen those things before, like Pirates of the Caribbean and, Agreed, and the Goonies. Yeah. You know, like I suppose one of the central things about Lovecraft Country as a story is the reclamation that was that was uh, being done by Matt Ruff when he wrote the original novel is effectively saying, you know, there are all these stories throughout American storytelling these these events that happened and they always have a white male protagonist at the center of them and matt ruff's idea for this whole thing of lovecraft country was taking all those elements and let's see what happens if you put a a black protagonist at the front if you if you put a black female protagonist at the front what happens if you put these types of people in this situation does it change the story in any way maybe it doesn't change the story in any way it doesn't really this is the same kind of excitement level that I got sitting in the cinema watching all of those movies. But what's added to it is their general experience and their day-to-day lives. In yeah, the, and, in and, the, and the different perspective. Yeah. And I, I think that's certainly, you know, th- this comes absolutely crashing through um, with, um, which is my f- favorite part of uh, of this with all the skeletons sort of almost mummified actually they're not mm-hmm. skeletons they're mummified or they look mummified around the table and at the head there is this mummy as well um and just that sequence where effectively uh, yahima comes back to life and um, this ancient um hermaphrodite from an ancient people from the land of the many waters mm-hmm. um which is a reference to guiana that took um, me a while to work out and i love this it was just amazing yeah. seeing this um you know she calls herself man woman um two spirits yes. um and seemingly a, a native to guyana um in in south america mm-hmm. uh and a merry indian um a, a native people from uh, guyana just really really good i loved how Ascus was able to speak to her and she spoke back and you got the translation of what she was saying and mm-hmm. just the the talk that i've never seen people so hungry and um, before always wanting to effectively consume yeah. um, and you more know maybe more, that more, is yeah. in part reference to that they were they were hungry a bit like with the the the, the first settlers um from uh plymouth within the mayflower where they were helped by uh native um uh, American Indians and yeah. First Peoples. Uh, I wondered if it was something to do with that. It's very or... similar, yeah. Like she even says that that Titus arrived on a ship from uh, and, from America. He yeah. arrived in the, exactly the same way. But yeah. even just the idea that it can be viewed in the sense that they're always consuming, that mm-hmm. and that consumption has brought them to this land which never had them before, and yeah. they begin to consume the land and. It, it kind of got me thinking because I, I I was there going, what's the history of violence here? And I know you have one side of it, and I think it works on two different levels. But, you know, this idea of Titus Braithwaite being not only a slave owner, mm-hmm. but an explorer and how explorers were very much uh, with or a part of 
or actually led the colonization of other lands, other resources, other people, um, you know, took dominion over them mm-hmm. or wiped them out um, for the for the sake of of land and property. This idea of consumption and that you know, interestingly, in, in this this moment as Titus as an explorer, it's the same as with slavery. That yeah. it is just consumption of other people, environments, um, ways of life, cultures uh, that wipes out the variety, the difference, the um, a- and is always on a power play of dominating yeah. these other people. And I-, I really liked this tale coming through uh, Yahima, uh, through Atticus, um, and that, you know, while she, at, at the start had no uh, reason to distrust him that after deciphering a few parts of the text, uh, it was only then that she realized the type of man uh, Titus was and Mm -hmm. what he was going to use this text for. And so therefore she refused and became um, prisoner in this, in, in this place with her people who he killed and imprisoned her with them and and i just thought this was like this is probably um such a common story whether it's the conquistadors to um to mexico and going through south america whether it's the the british um in india in africa the germans in africa the french in africa the americans in going from east America to West America, mm-hmm. the Brits with the colonies in America, yeah. all of Australia, this stuff, yeah. Australia, New Zealand, yeah. Canada. I mean, you name it, it is like just so, um, you know, the, the tentacles of this Cthulhu of colonialism yeah. just like <laughs> goes through uh, and around the world. And it's such I, a weird concept, isn't it? Thinking about how little power i suppose some of these countries have nowadays <laughs> that's the idea that you know you walk into a country you bring your country's flag from europe to a country you've never been to before plant the flag and go this is mine i don't yeah. care who you are <laughs> i don't care who these native people that that are on the land already are this is our country we've we've claimed it for ourselves and because they're not you know they're not advanced uh, with weapons like you are in your country then you you can therefore take the entire country from them you know that's that's the central concept but in this story here and what uh, what we hear from Yahima is the reason why she particularly was targeted by Titus is because she knew the words yes, of the book of Adam absolutely she knew his the, she knew the um she knew the ancient the text and the language yeah yeah, from the caves that were in her her yes. village, effectively her local area. So she had learned it all from reading it from the walls. So it's not necessarily that he's specifically there to claim all of her people. She, he's there to claim her and take her so that she can be of help in him uh, f- finishing his goal, which is getting all the pages of Adam translated. And he punishes her for Absolutely. not helping, helping him. Absolutely. Titus's goal is very specific, mm-hmm. but it's he in that specific moment in trying to um target her because she can provide him with the interpretation and mm-hmm. and deciphering of these of these words um he is also part of a, that larger movement 
of, of exploration yeah. for the sake of consuming it. And in this yeah. case, her knowledge. Yeah. I really liked that Yahima had uh, the tattoos on their body mm -hmm. and uh, they, they seem to be the ones that kind of matched with the ones at the Ardham Lodge. Very similar, um, yeah. Yeah. So it, th this was, this was really, uh, really interesting. Yeah, and I don't know whether it's just because of the, the times that we are, are living in as well, but the fact that Titus was also a board member of a museum and had helped found it in Boston. And that's kind of where I got that, um, you know, one of the themes of this episode, this history of violence uh, through exploration and I suppose the associated um, theft, I suppose you could say, of indigenous knowledge Absolutely. or the colonization of those lands in the broader sense. And also just because there's a huge debate with the British Museum, because the founder of that, I can't remember his first name, but it, it's Sloan, mm. and they've removed his bust um, from the main entrance um, because, you know, he was, he founded the British Museum. He his wealth was generated through owning slaves. Mm -hmm. Sloan Square would be one of the big um, squares that's also named after him. Right. And, um, you know, he gave a lot of that wealth to founding the British Museum yeah. and I suppose other elements. Uh, and they have... To keep his legacy going. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so they had... So it all this felt very much like that with, with Titus Braithwaite. Yeah, absolutely. And you were saying that they removed his bust and put it in an area where it's now... Contextualize, yeah. So they've actually the yeah. um, contextualized the 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 bust of um, of him ab about him owning slaves yeah. and where he got his wealth from, what he did, and da 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 as yeah, well. Absolutely, it's one of the most interesting pieces that's going on in in the real world now. I suppose is this idea of okay, having a statue up and going, this is one person's accomplishments and taking that one accomplishment out of their entire life and people revering someone for the one thing they did that was good in their life. Um, but this idea of taking those away, putting them into a, a proper situation where they're contextualized, where people can understand everything about them as a whole, as a human, not just the one good thing they may have done in their life. They may have been standing on the shoulders of awfulness as well, you know? Yeah. But also one of the other things that's in here with this reference to them going to South America, to, to Guyana, and finding someone there that can translate the Book of Adam because Yahima has read these texts on the walls of a cave that, that is local to her. I think that's also a reference to the fact that, you know, in Africa, for example, that's where the first people of the world came from. They're closer to God. They're closer to the history. They're yes. closer to our origins effectively as humans, whatever religion you believe in, but are closer to where humans originated effectively in these countries. And we have a white colonist coming to these countries and taking that, trying to steal the power from them. And the reason why they have that power, let's say, is because they actually are closer to our origins as humans um, than these white people from america are yeah so i think that's that's part of the element that the, that the commentary of the show is coming coming uh from yeah definitely yeah. um yeah. I, and i thought it was really uh really um interesting and i i found it just so fascinating i think the other thing as well just moving on then is and i suppose it links to the indiana jones you get that wonderful moment where they've got themselves 
uh, Leti, Tick, um, Atticus, uh, along with Yahima, are all out of danger. Um, so they've managed to get the scroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the caverns or, or the, the tunnels are all uh, raising up with water. Mm-hmm. And there is Letty's lift. They get in. And when she finally, another little bit of sort of tense oh, yeah. uh, where the scrolls float back out and she has to yeah. go and get them, comes back in and as... They are t- ascended to to safety in the lift. You get the big uh, kiss between Letty and Tick. You know oh, that absolutely. It really felt to me like Indiana Jones and Marion Ravenwood, mm. and I just thought it was wonderful that these two, uh, in that moment of surviving and everything, kind of yep. came together and had a bit of a bit of a snog there in the lift um although i didn't see montrose doing it with yahima of course um <laughs> well we'll talk about that in a second well yeah uh, anyway, he did something but, a lot worse but uh, i think as an audience member watching this episode i needed that moment because i was so tense this the, the ticking clock which is the you know the term that's used in, in writing to make sure the tension is ramped up throughout a tv show or throughout a movie this ticking clock that's in there the whole time is so amped up in this episode you know you mentioned about you know they've got to get across this board um across the chasm earlier on in the episode you know that's that's the moment where i know i would be kind of going you know what screw this i'm leaving somebody else can do this in future i can't walk that board but all three of them try and do that and they they make it across and then the board starts to disappear and then as the board's disappearing they have to solve a puzzle that uh it's only because mantras was brought with them that they actually were able to solve it you know, I know. that they have to do the arm in the in the hole and then the water's rising and then as you say they finally get everything together and they get back to the lift and then the scroll that has the all the information that they came here to get floats out of the lift again. And then, you know, it's it's so much ratcheting up of the tension in yeah. this episode. I was so tense by that moment to have a second between Tick and uh, and Letty where they finally kiss and they finally, well, they've kissed a lot more than kissed actually in the last episode, but they, they kiss again after kind of falling away from each other as we saw early on in the episode. But having that moment feels like, Okay, now we can relax into the end of the episode. And of course, there's one last reveal. Yes. In those final moments. Yes, there is. And it's the shocking murder of Yahima by Montrose, um, who slits her throat and, you know, pats her on the shoulder, says, I'm sorry, and, and does it. This felt like that moment where the crate with the Ark of the Covenant um, begins to burn through the crate. Uh, it, it was okay. obviously no one dies in that. This is more shocking, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it's on a more human level, but it is that moment where you think everything's all right, and yeah. suddenly, out of the blue totally unexpected montrose murders her um for the only reasons i was kind of thinking we need to talk about it definitely definitely it is because of what he knows from the books that he was reading and that he'd burnt or maybe what george had said to him whilst he was by his bedside and moving him to the car Mm. i mean we don't know of any potential conversations here but it seems to me that 
Montrose's main aim is to keep the family safe. Yes, it is right. that he that. didn't even want to go to Boston. Yep. He he was trying to he was being very reticent about sharing any information. Like he knew where the vault would be and um Letty has this really great line and um, that she says to Montrose because she knows that he knows exactly what's happening where they need to be to find this vault and mm. she says you're going to keep your son chasing uh his tail when you know the answers yeah you know and his response is i don't want to walk into the game that she christina is making you play mm-hmm. uh so he you know he is wanting to protect his family he's seen his brother killed because of the braithwaites and yeah he has been kidnapped he is acutely aware of this. Plus, he's read these books. It may be something in their text. See, that's the one I'm not sure on. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. There's definitely an, an earlier moment as well with Tick when he's in the library and he's going through his investigation with all the books. And he realizes that when he looks at the uh, the checkout slip, effectively, for every one of the books, he sees Montrose's name on all of them. And then he's kind of going hang on a second, my father's like 10 steps ahead of me. You know, my father knows exactly all yeah. of this information, but he's still not sharing it with me. It, it causes that bit of tension between the two of them. And we have a couple of moments in this episode where we see the two of them being brought back together. Um, You know, remember that they have had a relationship that has been completely separate for years on end. We heard that from the first episode with George saying that, you know, uh, his father had never contacted um Tick while he was away in Korea at all but he always asked about him surreptitiously with george you know so he does care yeah. about him but he doesn't want to let uh, tick know but we have two moments in this episode where he effectively says your mother would be proud of you first time and that makes tick kind of get a little lump in his throat and then right at the end here before he kills yahima he tells him that he's really proud of him um and that kind of uh is something that you can tell tick has never heard before from his father um he says to him that i know you've grown into a strong a strong man and a great man uh, and you can tell there's a real moment where well to be honest it even as me watching the episode i was getting kind of choked up at the idea that this guy would reveal his heart to his son at this moment and then almost immediately afterwards he kills uh, yahima so we now in my mind it means we have a big kind of question thrown over this character um and you're wondering whether Maltro, what what the impetus is for Montrose to do this is it protection of his family or is there something else is there some is he being forced to do something um who knows but if Yahima is the person who can decipher Mm -hmm. the text and that is what Christina is looking to do yeah um or just the 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 sons of Adam in general Mm. then Unless they bring her back like they did with Letty, yeah. um, if there's something in their spell book that they can do, yeah. they've suddenly lost their translator effectively. Interesting, because I know that you're saying it, I'm almost thinking that the only people that have lost a translator here are Letty and Tick and Montrose, because they've always had the pages of the Book of Adam over in the over in their group. But they've not been able able to to... decipher it. So Christina was saying only a one or two pages of this text Mm -hmm. has been deciphered. And these are where their current range of spells come from. 
And if only we could decipher the full text, imagine what we could do. And she also didn't have access to the pages in the vault either, right? So, yeah. Yeah, she, should, she didn't have the way into to the vault that needed tick. So, so, yeah, maybe it's just the physical copy. They need the text so that mm-hmm. they can decipher it because they know that. But I also kind of felt from the the story of Yahima that she was the one that had deciphered it for Titus. Yeah. And then she refused to help him anymore. So he effectively had kept her in stasis, mm-hmm. not even in stasis, as a mummy, um, with yeah. the possibility of coming back to life so that she would decipher at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. He, he may have even thought during his lifetime and um, yeah. like the one thing that she says when she gets out of the lift is that she has no reason to um, distrust Letty, Atticus or Montrose, but she's not going to decipher the scroll for them. Um, and yeah. then, of course, Montrose kills her. Yeah, exactly. So exactly, yeah. Um, she should be just trusting everybody. Yes, yeah, yes. definitely. Yeah, don't trust nobody. While we're on this piece, I was going to say a saver for notes, but yeah, massive congratulations to the uh, to the people that did the special effects for this episode. Wow, the return of Yahima. Um, <laughs> see that that, that moment is so good. Um, there were five movies called The Mummy where they did uh, tried to do an effect uh, like this where someone a long time is there five ago or three maybe this three a it just long feels time like five ago don't awful you films. be picking on The Mummy awful films uh, but but if they had uh, this special effects team on it maybe they would have been more successful as films because uh, that scene was so well done. I love how her, her bones are cracking and breaking and being put back together in, inside the the kind of stringy skin that she has left and then it starts to fill out. It's so good, isn't it? It really so is. Cool. And I love the reaction of Tick, Letty and Montrose. Mm-hmm. It was just so, so good. I am surprised. I know, again, if I was there, I would definitely be uh, be more of the let's get the F out of here. Like <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Would I'd be like, surprised. okay, <laughs> I'm running. I'm running. I'm surprised. I think the only other thing I have on this is that that chasm, Tick, Ascus, Montrose uh, move uh, a hell of a distance in space mm-hmm. uh, as well as time. Uh, to get from being in Boston mm-hmm. uh, to Chicago, right underneath Hiram Winthrop's home, or former home, now Letty's. And uh, effectively, I just wonder, we're told in this um, this episode about the key to time travel from Hiram's orrery, which is that um, mechanical model of the solar system, mm-hmm. uh, which is now come into the hands of Hippolyta. We saw it very briefly in uh, episode three. And I, I think I mentioned on the last podcast, I was like, that didn't seem out of context, but now it was just kind of throwing that reference because we saw it here yeah. uh, in um, Hippolyta's business. And yeah. she's looking to try and fix shopping. this uh, orrery that was owned by Hiram. Uh, but similarly, um, the ability to move across vast distances in a very short time as mm-hmm. well uh, seems to be there uh, in this uh, world, at least in the subterranean world. Uh, and I'm just wondering if that move across the chasm yep. was the moment where they went from being underneath the city of Boston or the uh, foundations of the Boston Museum to under the foundations of um Letty's home in Chicago. Well, there's a lot of magic at play. Uh, it certainly is. Some kind of spell. 
Yeah, exactly. There, there is some references in there. I know you mentioned about Indiana Jones and, and National Treasure uh, being our references that we would connect to it again. This is set in the fifties, but uh, it, it's referenced one hundred percent in the episode of the show that this is also connected to Journey of the Center of the Earth. Yes, um, the kid that's in that, that keeps shushing them in the library. Oh, so is, good is actually reading the book. Um, yeah. And later on, we do hear Tick say, uh, "This is some kind of journey to the center of the earth." You know, <laughs> when he's talking about it. So the reference they have, you know, the, you know, the I think if I remember correctly from when I read the book, and mm-hmm. uh, it's been decades probably since I read the book and, and watched the film, the original film. Um, my understanding was it's something like you can go down diagonally towards the center of the earth. And when you rise back up from the center of the earth, you arrive at a different point on the planet. It's something like that is in my head. So, But it's a machine, isn't it, that they go down to the center of the earth? It's a burrowing machine. Yeah. And you have then all the di- like this lost world at, uh, the, center of the, earth, at yeah. the center of the earth. Yeah. 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 But I, I just wonder if, if there was some kind of reference to that. They're going down deep into the earth. They're spending a long time going down there and they're coming back up uh, in an in a different direction, maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, that, maybe that that's all that was in my head. There's some kind of magic in there, definitely. But, uh, but yeah, it's a weird moment. We get it. Uh, but I think I think we understand that there's some transfer between Boston to uh, Chicago across that, uh, that board in the middle of, uh, across a chasm, effectively, that gets them some way connected back to... Yeah, uh, just because that in itself was a magical spell, yeah. that board... I just, um, for example, I wouldn't think that when tide goes low, they're going to be able to get into the lift and just walk straight back into the vault tomorrow. You know, that that's my kind of question that's in my head after well, do, after seeing what that's happens. the complicating fact yeah. that they are talking about the tide at Boston when they're on the other side of the the plank because they still think that mm-hmm. they are underneath um, the the museum yeah. in Boston. But I wonder if it's something to do with um, groundwater with the Great Lakes next well, to Chicago. But similarly, yeah, it's who knows. It's yeah. it, it was just awesome though. I I did like that jump. I yeah. love that moment uh, that they have gone miles from where they started, yeah. and certainly to the point where you just get that reference with Hippolyta and Diana on the way back to Chicago from Boston, yep. going, I don't know where they are. I, I don't know how they got to Chicago. Uh-huh. Um, and so How did they get back home again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, going without them telling her, obviously. Yeah. And so speaking really of which, that, that kind of sets up the next episode for Hippolyta and Dee. Um, they're off to find out some answers about what happened to George. Yeah, so, in Devon County. Um, yeah, so they're going to be putting themselves in some serious danger in the next episode, definitely. Um, I'm going to take a really tiny point, but a really important point, because um, that I think we've talked a long time about this episode. It is very dense episode, so we were absolutely right to talk about it. Uh, I think, I think as as the central kind of theme of it. But uh, I have a huge, huge question from this episode. Um, I did mention on last week's episode that I was reading the book. I've stopped reading the book now because uh, there's no point when you're watching a TV show reading a book alongside it because things are happening in a different order, and I didn't want to spoil anything for myself. So, uh, so I have stopped. But I do have a big question. I mentioned before that in the book there is no Christina Braithwaite. There's only a son of uh, of Samuel Braithwaite that's mentioned in the book. Uh-huh. Um, I suddenly have a question in this episode where 
Christina is involved as to whether she is blonde-haired, blue-eyed William. If that is also Christina, is she using some kind of glamour magic to translate herself into uh, this character of William? Is that why she laughed in such a weird way when, when asked whether William was her boyfriend? And she replied with, well, he's a friend and he's also a boy. They're not boyfriends. We haven't seen the two of them in the same scene together. Um, the character of William allows her to go to places where she's not able to go at all. She's pretty confident as a person herself, but there are places where she's not allowed. So is William's presence, is her version of William, is that what allowed her to get to that meal, for example, uh, in episode two? It allowed William to go into the room where she's not allowed, effectively. Yeah. So uh, so I wonder, is she using some kind of magic to translate herself into this character of William? And I will say the show does help me out quite significantly. I'm hoping that I'm not, I'm not sounding really stupid here. There is a moment where we see uh, Christina walk behind a statue and turn to the left, and then almost immediately afterwards you see William walking out. So... That is there in the show, so, so I don't yeah. think it's a massive it, uh, leap. It's it's that moment in the show where I went. I think we need to rewind this because she's she's coming back to her home in mm-hmm. Chicago where where she's staying, and she's being watched by uh, two undercover officers yeah. from the Chicago Police Department, mm-hmm. and she walks up the path and to go into the house to the front door, yeah, and very quickly. William walks out and yep. it could simply be she's gone in and said tapped him on the shoulder and said look people look, follow me take care of me kind exactly of yeah. for me in that moment of needing to rewind and check was because it seemed really really quick yeah um, and uh, yeah that's when the theory that you've just mentioned mm-hmm. uh, sprang to life so let's see it's really interesting to to just see are these two one in the same? Yeah. And that theory would be really good to find out uh, mm-hmm. if if it comes true. Absolutely. Because I wonder, you know, even towards the end of the episode, we have this reveal of Yahima being of two-spirit, of being male-female. You know, I wonder, is that something that she's tapped into? You know, again, Yahima is the person that knows the texts of Adam. She knows about the spells. Has she... Has, Christina tapped into that, that she also knows the spell where she can be two sexes, can be two spirits, you know? Is that where it's coming from? Yeah, I really enjoyed this, and I really like the idea of glamour, a bit like with vampires, mm-hmm. um, just because George's favourite novel is Dracula, or one of them mm-hmm. is, is Dracula. Uh, I, I think also the other point just to draw from this is that she has this run-in with the Captain Lancaster from That's Chicago right. Police, who is part of the Sons of Adam Lodge in Chicago. And this and was the a-hole who was beating on Letty last time, telling her how could how could it be possible that you could own a house like this? Um, that's that yes, guy, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. yeah. Asking her very specifically who gave her the money yeah. to buy that, who is funding her. And what we see here is Christine keeping it very close to her, her chest, uh, her cards, uh, not telling him that she gave Letty the money yeah. for, to buy the house. You know, this is the grand but scheme knows, at the right? moment of Christine. Oh, he absolutely he has there, his, yeah. he must have his suspicions, yeah. hence why she's been followed, but he doesn't have the proof. But yes, she is very cagey um, to Captain Lancaster. Yeah. Uh, and of course, 
uh, yeah, that was just kind of, again, another little throwback to the last episode with this guy. Because it was, at the time, I was wondering, you know, is he just doing that for, you know, because it, it, to me, it, in that moment, it came across as him just being racist and misogynist. Yeah. And that someone like you can't buy this house. Yeah, and he was. Yeah. And, and he, no, exactly, he <laughs> but was. More, but but, uh, but, but what more. I mean is there's more to it. <laughs> exactly. exactly. There's also another level yeah. in this. It's a bit like with the history of violence thing. I've come at it from this idea of exploration and and so on, uh, and primarily around Titus Braithwaite as an explorer, slavery owner, that kind of thing. And you also had the the um, the great kind of more personal Mm -hmm. and character driven view of the title of this episode. Yeah, that's um, right. Because I completely around Montrose. Yeah, I completely forgot to say the the opening of the episode opens with Montrose. drunk and hearing the voices of what it sounds like himself as a child asking not to be beaten by his father we heard those stories from george um so there is so much violence in his past and then the bookend to the episode is him taking out some violence on yahima to solve the issue killing yahima to solve the problem he has so uh, so he comes from a history of violence which is repeating itself almost it, he that that's his way out that's the thing that he'll do uh, in the future to solve his problems is resort to violence you're right john i completely forgot to say that but yeah yeah um some really interesting other stuff that happened with christina uh to, to get back to that side of things in the episode i absolutely love that the priestess that uh, that that's letty and uh and Tick got over last episode to solve their ghost problem in the house actually has formed a block so that Christina can't even <laughs> yeah, get exactly. into the house. So effectively, the way that it seems to be playing here is that Christina bought this effect, kind of mansion almost. She gave enough money to buy the mansion, let's say, to Lassie. It's not a mansion. It was a bit very run down, but it had 15 bedrooms in it, right? Yeah, exactly. A, an um, elevator. It's yeah, got a lift in it. Exactly. And she, it seems like she gave it's her all this money and all she wanted was this replica of the solar system this orrery that's all she wanted right so she gave this massive amount of money which is nothing to her she has billions of quid you know available to her but she gave all this money and she can't even walk inside the doors of this house i love that idea i love that there's again let's take on the vampiric element to it there's a blocker there on the door she can't be she can't be invited into the house uh she can only be uh, allowed into the house if Letty gets rid of the protection so she can't just walk in the door even though she's the one that did it and I love Letty's response is oh you're the one that gave me the money well, it doesn't matter my names are on the deeds <laughs> <Nice. laughs> exactly Letty. although it may not matter that she can't get in now that the orrery is in Hippolyta's shop of course shop. yeah but she doesn't know that that was her only lead to get to the orrery well that's so, true yeah. that's true well, And then the final little bit that we need to talk about in here, because we need to talk about it, definitely a setup for next week's episode, I'd say. Uh, William, who is maybe Christina, (laughs) hooking up with Ruby. Um, Yeah. So we have Ruby going in to try and get this job that she's been talking about with Letty. Uh, In the past, she talked about this idea that she wanted to work in this department store down in town. Letty kind of told her just to go for it, like I would. You know, why don't you get down there and do it? She's all dressed up to the nines, gets down there and finds that there's another black lady there who has a job in the shop. And instantly she is completely deflated and walks away instantly and goes, you know, there's 125 different employees in the shop. I think she says only one of them is black. There's no way they're going to hire two of us, you know. So uh, so 
This has got her down. You know, I was going to comment on this. I mentioned that I absolutely love when I hear Ruby singing. The, the actress has such a beautiful <laughs> yeah. voice. She's a great voice when she's up on stage with loads of people. And the scene cuts into her in the bar and she's sitting there with the guitar. And I was going, ooh, no, maybe I spoke too soon. Maybe uh, she doesn't have the greatest of voice or maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't play guitar very well. But that's the whole setup of the scene is that she's so annoyed that she just isn't playing exactly. Well, you know? yeah. <laughs> Love that the audience give her a slight clap and she's like, "Well, f you too." <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. it was really good. And of course, William promises, uh, I suppose maybe menacingly, uh, that he can change her world. And I think Ruby, in her drunken state at the bar, seems to think that this is just. A white man coming on to her yeah. to hook up with a, a black lady. It's another uh, and, person saying the same thing exactly. over and over. I'll save you. Come back with me. Come back home with me. And then dump it around the street and the next day. I think. think over time she feels that it's maybe more than that. Because he does say, I fulfill my promises. And I still wonder whether Ruby's <laughs> thinking about getting the job. That it will be... Is, is that all she's thinking about with doing it? Maybe. Um, because I've now got awful visions that Shoggoths are going to issue forth from, oh my gosh. from Ruby. Like it's almost some kind of alien thing's going to happen. Right. Um, interestingly as well, William has got some kind of scarring on his chest as well. Almost tattooed, like almost ceremonial is yes, what it looked like yeah, to me. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It didn't look like just natural scarring. It looked like it was there for a purpose. Um, I'm going to challenge you slightly, John, on your opinion about what Ruby thought at the end of that, because the final line that they say to each other, drunken in the bar, Ruby says to him, this is never, ever going to happen. I'm not going home with you just before she arrives at his home to have sex with him. So so I don't think she believes that uh, it will lead anywhere. I think she just got really drunk and went home with a guy to the bar. She certainly got pretty (laughs) drunk. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be very intriguing to see what William slash Christina has an offer for uh, for Ruby uh, next week's episode. But uh, yeah, that's that's going to be that's going to be a fun storyline, I think, when we get there. And uh, that's kind of it for uh, for my very small point in our massive long discussion, uh, because it was such an interesting episode to discuss. Uh, do I do have a few notes from the episode. Have you got anything, John, or should I pop into my notes? No, I think all my notes are, are done and dusted. Excellent. Excellent. Two uh, that I just thought were really interesting in here. Um, this is the second reference we've had to the Tulsa massacre of 1921. Um, Montrose talks about the fact that the uh, the book and the burning that he's doing of the book uh, in his apartment smells like uh, the Tulsa massacre. or smells like Tuss- Tulsa, is what he says. Excuse me. And there was a reference in, in episode two where George was talking to the uh, lady that came to his mind. <laughs> the two of them were talking about the times they spent together and talking about their times in Tulsa. Um, the Tulsa massacre was something that we saw uh, back in Watchmen. It was the first time we'd seen it. This uh, I heard about it. Heard yeah. about it yet? Yeah. Um, we didn't see it. You're right. It was a it was a dramatization of the moment in uh, in Tulsa. Um, yeah, it's a it's an awful piece of history, but it would make sense that that uh, part of that would form. Uh, a segment of Montrose's history and it would be something that that he would be uh, he would remember for the rest yeah, of his life definitely definitely yeah, yeah. Uh, also want to mention Hippolyta in the episode because I do think she has a good a good through line in this story she's becoming stronger and stronger since the loss of her husband um, herself and Dee have a really good relationship her daughter uh, which we didn't mention in the first episode being massive comic fans John we should have mentioned that we should have shouldn't we really Dee is a comic book writer that's her yes. that's what she does all the time she, and actually it was really cute that she gave George 
a copy of her latest edition mm-hmm. uh, that he was reading as he goes on on his on the trip on, on the road trip on, in the first episode. So yeah. yeah, really, really good. And you know, her and Asuka seem to have this really great kind of um, connection, connection yeah. uh, which is really, really nice in the yeah. show. Definitely. I suspect that in the next episode, she's going to get embroiled in something horrific mm-hmm. um, I think so. in, in Devon County. I think so, yeah, yeah. But one of the things I really liked about the relationship between Hippolyta and Dee was just that time where they were sitting in the planetarium in the episode where Hippolyta is actually telling Dee that she had a moment when she was young where she discovered a comet and she was going to call it Harriet's Chariot. Uh, that was the name that she was going to give to this comet. But when they found out that it was a black girl that had given the name, they gave it to some other kids, some other white kids, uh, because they didn't want that to be the legacy that was given to this comet. Um, and that kind of turned her off from being involved in any organized version of uh, of astronomy that she was involved in so um it's a really sad kind of moment and i love that Dee's reaction to it because Dee just seems like this strong vibrant character she instantly just shouts at everybody and goes my mom named that comet and its name is harriet's chariot you know so i just thought that was a lovely it was moment. great yeah. actually i um, loved that and um, um, because I, I really liked how with hippolyta she goes you know the truth that's all that matters to me mm-hmm. uh and yeah the response from from D is yeah shouting it from the rafters as as a proud daughter mm-hmm. really really good now yeah. they all know the truth exactly. too Bob. yeah so <laughs> I, love it. I love it i would suspect that uh, that Hippolyta's naming the comet after Harriet Tubman, a very famous figure in American history. Uh, Harriet Tubman uh, was an abolitionist uh, in America, so uh, I would suggest that's probably where she got the name from. But I uh, love the idea of that being Harriet's chariot that's going across the sky rather than Haley's Comet or whatever the other name that was given to, to the comet was. I think that's a, that would have been a lovely tribute, I suppose, uh, if, if she'd been allowed to name it. Yeah, and the, the chariot reference as well to the Underground Railroad of moving the liberated Mm -hmm. slaves through that system uh, in that railroad chariot, I suppose. Uh, Really, really good. Exactly, exactly. And one final thing that I just loved about the episode, I loved the discussion between (laughs) between, uh, Montrose, Tick and uh, and Letty, where uh, Montrose is telling her all about their historical um, family who came up with the knot that uh, that would keep them safe. It's a magic knot. That's how he was able to be their their former <laughs> slave uh, um, ancestor. That's how he was able to keep safe the entire time that he was a slave. And then as she walks out of the board, Tick says to Montrose, but we had no slaves in our family since they're called Freeman. That's their surname. <laughs> they never had slaves in their past. And Montrose goes, well, she's walking on the board, isn't she? <laughs> so, I love that he's made up this this really complex story. You know, it kind yeah, of shows you that. That was really good. Yeah, it kind of shows you that while Tick is the, uh, the really smart, uh, learned one of the family, Montrose is also a very smart person who can make up this kind of story. So very cool. Very cool. Really enjoyed that. Uh, that's it for our thoughts about the episode. John, any, uh, any final thoughts about the episode? What do you think? Uh, loved this episode. It, it was just, it, you know, linked back to the, it's just continuing the link through, I should say, uh, on all of these, these episodes so far. Mm-hmm. It added this great look at the explorer. I think in, in, in the purer sense of the word, also with the, you know, discovery with, uh, the reference to Jules Verne's, um, the journey to the center of the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really good. I loved it in the vaults underneath Boston Museum with Titus's vault. I thought Yahima and her story was just amazing, and the the 
sequence where she becomes reanimated, almost hide, you know, she becomes hydrated from her mummified well, state yeah. was so good. And there's some nice little connection here with Christine um, in Chicago doing her sort of slightly underhand cagey work. There's some great stuff as well with, as you say, bringing Hippolyta uh, a little deeper into this through the lens of her husband's death. Mm-hmm. And certainly that her and, D are going to go on a journey of discovery for sure when they get to to Devon County. Absolutely. So uh, I really absolutely thoroughly enjoyed this episode, um, and that's why I would give it five Woodies out of five in reference to the car who can hold the entire of the South Side, according to George. <laughs> um, I love the fact that that just gets filled up as well. You know, you can see it. Why is Hippolyta and D coming to Boston with mm-hmm. us? Because how are we going to get there if we don't use Woody? And then Tree also comes in as well. And yeah. it's like Hippolyta's, yeah, join us. You, you can get the lift to uh, wherever he was going. Yeah. Um, like it is interesting, isn't it? When he so arri- it's nice. Yeah, when he arrives, he says he's on his way to, I think it's Philadelphia, um, to yeah. go and meet an- another girl. And then suddenly it's like... He's why, in Boston. Why is he in Boston? Yeah, exactly. Why is he going on our tour of the museum with us? You know, uh, you can see how angry Tick's getting. Like, it took me a minute to, to recognize the character. He was back in the house party that they had in episode three. Uh, he's the one that was basically saying to Tick that uh, if you're not going to take her, I'll take her about Letty. And then we find out Letty's kind of gone. I've already been with you. Well, Letty, younger, so. yeah, Letty does yeah. a great put down on him as he's mm-hmm. trying to puff out his chest, yeah. throw back his shoulders uh, and talking uh, about his extra leg oh, that he hilarious. carries in his trousers. Yeah, absolutely hilarious. Like I would have known that we were together when, when we were younger. Kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah, exactly. Really good. Really good. Thanks so much for that, John. Um, we are going to go into our feedback section. We got some great feedback in over the last couple of weeks. If you want to correct anything that we've uh, that we've missed or point out things that we haven't talked about, you can email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com uh, with any of your thoughts. You can also join us over on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. We put up a spoiler post over there where you can uh, put in any of your thoughts about the episode. Uh, feel free to spoil everything about the episode because that's the place to talk about it. Over on Twitter, the Soul Man wonders, is George coming back as a vampire? He's turned blood drunk with this newfound power and wants to either change the others, and if they refuse, he'll feed off them. I'm probably 100% wrong in this, but they just keep referring to County Monte Cristo and Dracula. What do you yeah, think of the theory, it, John? It's, uh, <laughs> it is always good to have uh, theories. Mm. I, I like this one from uh, the Soul Man on Twitter. You mentioned it as well again in in this episode. There is a vampiric kind of theme running through this. Um, I don't know whether it will be George or whether it will come from something else. You know, I'm just thinking Christine and um, William, if they're two separate people, but even Samuel, they're all very pasty white as well, which is another kind of little reference. You know, that's kind of fairly vampiric. George's favorite book. I would love to see... Uh, judge come back and if he comes back as a vampire so so be it and um, hopefully one of the good ones yeah didn't uh didn't william also suck on some blood and from ruby's hand when uh when she cracked it on a glass uh while they were having sex or while they were getting ready to have yeah sex. So, he did yeah there's yeah. definitely a bit of that uh definitely want to point out though um as mentioned in the episode with christina here and i think i also heard it on the official uh lovecraft country podcast as well don't forget that Letty died in episode two and came back to life and the wounds that she had 
were completely cleared when she saw herself in the mirror. So while George is the fan of the vampire book and, and Dracula, uh, Letty is the one that has died and come back to life. So there are possible repercussions to come. Christina does kind of call out, do you not, do, do you feel a bit weird having come back from the dead kind no, of thing? So, yeah. um, so potentially that's our vampire. We'll see. We'll see Ooh, if we see interesting. her. Eat. Maybe she'll just be eating very rare steak, uh, from now on. Uh, thanks so much for that, Selman. Yeah. Um, thanks, Selman. Yep. Uh, will be also corrected my complete error from last week. Um, we'd, we had heard of Ruby's brother and Letty's brother before uh, in a previous episode. Will be pointed out that the brother of Letty and Ruby is Marvin, played by Demetrius Gross. They stayed at his house on the way to Ardham in the first episode. Letty was supposed to stay there, but they got into an argument and he kicked her out. And that's why she's on the adventure. So very stupidly, I should have noticed that. The reason why I was saying it was Ruby was kind of going, uh, why didn't, why didn't I, myself and Marvin learn about the inheritance that we all had? You should have told us immediately, Letty. It was definitely in there. I just missed it. I have to say, I missed that too. Uh, thanks for the, the call out will be because yeah i kind of missed that for some reason i knew it was family i just kind of assumed it was an uncle for some reason or a cousin yeah Uh, i wasn't thinking of um letty's brother Mm -hmm. Uh, i I mean having said that they got into a massive stonking argument which can only ever be family related um, and certainly not uh once removed with cousins (laughs) it's very rare to get that uh deep into an argument so uh yeah Good, uh, good spot uh, and good correction uh, for us for sure. Thanks, Absolutely. Will. Thanks, Will. Yeah, over on Facebook, uh, Donald Dennis said, "Wow, uh, so intense. I have questions about the ending. Did the house clean itself, or do they know about the ultra sub basement?" Um, good question. Yeah, so whether keep... it's yeah. a self cleaning house, which, to be honest. Maybe we could all put up with a few dead bodies um, if if it did the hoovering and the polishing. I'm not too sure whether that's what he means. I think <laughs> no, he might uh, mean just okay. clean up after Can't. the murder. <laughs> I thought this was a really good question. I don't think it actually uh, is answered in this episode either. I was I was wondering when we got to the end of the episode when I read this piece of feedback um, whether that would be answered from what we saw here that the that. There's something happening there. There's certainly some form of, of spiritual element in there. But from Donald's question is around, around episode three. Um, when he, when he said it, I was thinking back on the episode and trying to think, did Letty Tick or Ruby ever see the bodies of the three racists that came into their house and were murdered by the ghosts? Yes. Cause I don't think they actually saw the bodies. And I think there's a moment where Letty's asked what happened to the neighbors that disappeared. And she goes, well, I don't know. And I think in my mind, I was kind of going, she's smirking on the inside because she knows these racists are dead and she put them in the basement is what was in my head. But when when you think back on it and you go, well, actually, the ghosts in the house killed these people while Letty and Tick were in the basement and they didn't see them. And then the house just disposed of them themselves, kind of like the Shining uh, Hotel and the Hotel in the Shining where it's it's able to do something significantly more than you think a house would be able to do or the ghosts have done this and hidden the bodies in the basement uh, but it's not connected to this week's episode is kind of what I'm what I'm thinking yeah now. I I mean I I have to look back over um episode three uh, and thanks Donald for this because and um, I kind of thought that they did see it. I I have this recollection that they stumble across the whole um headless body from okay. the lift Okay. But I'm questioning it now. Right. Uh, so I, I need to, uh, I need to check. 
But uh, yeah, it would be, it would fit the Hell House and that kind of idea, or the Hell Hotel, as with The Shining, that yeah. idea of a sentient house. Yeah, uh, for sure. So yeah, good question. I think uh, Donald absolutely. And we did mention last episode that there is a, a a thing about the the structure of the episode where it's jumping through multiple days. It's going we're on day two, and then it must jumps to the next day, and there's there's bits of the narrative that are gone from the show on purpose so that it doesn't feel like you're watching every single day uh, playing out so potentially uh there's something that just wasn't shown on screen which showed why those bodies ended up down there but yeah again it's you know this ultra sub basement that they went down to that they put the bodies down there but in this episode the only thing that might connect it in this episode they seem to be fully aware of the lift being in letty's house when they when they find the lift they seem to be kind of going, oh, that's the lift in, in your house, Letty. And don't seem as surprised as I was yeah. that that lift is in Austin. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Um, Angie Arhos also said, another amazing episode. I was with Letty and her baseball bat. Smash those cars. The whole thing was very scary and gruesome. Loved the guillotine elevator. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The guillotine elevator. You just have to love crazy elevators uh mm-hmm. for sure and i i'm with you angie yeah because i was also with letty and her baseball bat i thought go you smash <laughs> you smash those cars for Absolutely. sure really <laughs> good and finally on facebook mike malone says derek mentioned reading the book along with the show i've read up to this point episode three and i'm really impressed that the locations sets have matched so closely with the settings described in the book Mm -hmm. from the racist diner to the cabin in the woods to george's office to letty's house the show has been spot on with my mind's eye having already read the book impressive show design also the Atticus Letty relationship is so well crafted and acted to this point. One moment stood out when Tick joins Letty in the restaurant booth and she mentions her first time at the house party. We see Tick shift around to move closer to her in the booth. It's such a small choice, but says so much about his feelings for her and his intentions to support her no matter what. Very impressed with this show so far and appreciate your coverage of it. Thanks, Mike, um, for for the the feedback and the discussion. Um, I haven't read the book, so um, mm. but I know Derek has also mentioned how closely um, connected and linked in with the kind of pacing and and um, descriptions that the show has given. Uh, and I agree. I, I'm really enjoying Atticus and Letty's relationship. It is um, really nicely nuanced, and Definitely. I think that whole moment um in the in the booth around the first time at the house party it was it was a it was a really subtle choice and one that as you say um really shows his intentions to support her um as well as being you know he has this attraction to her absolutely mm-hmm. but he he himself you know Ascus is not a monster in this monster show in yep. that sense and it's really really good he's so lovely and protective of her in this scene as well it's a great great moment to call it mike i uh, totally agree with you that the production design and the show just feel exactly like it's it's they've gone to the text and gone this is what it should look like and translated it directly out of my mind onto screen it's really really good <laughs> really like it 
Thanks so much for that, Mike. Really good feedback. Um, yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, uh, one of the piece of feedback that we got in from Will B uh, over on Twitter. One thing that we that he pointed out to us that we didn't notice in episode three as well. Thanks so much for this. Um, the kid who is on the Ouija board, one of Dee's friends, um, who asks the question about will he enjoy his trip down south. Uh, this is fascinating. This is a pretty deep, uh, yeah, deep one for this the is great sign. stuff. Yeah. This kid is actually Emmett Till, who's a reasonably well-known historical figure uh, in the the rights movement in America. Uh, Emmett Till was about to go on his trip in 1955. He went from Chicago uh, down south. Uh, he was 14 years old and was accused of um, of chatting up a white woman uh, in a grocery store while he was on his holidays in the south and was lynched by a mo- by a mob and killed at 14 years old. And it's another. Um, reference that's in this show a really deep reference because uh, he asks the Ouija board whether he's going to enjoy his holiday and the Ouija board responds to him no like okay that's a pretty uh, pretty serious uh, serious moment in the show and a pretty serious reference for for how, yeah. they've, uh, how they've done it he's basically he's effectively wearing exactly the same yeah outfit the production design's amazing yeah. like the tie is very distinctive yeah. uh, and they have that down to a T yeah um, and again it, it it's one of those like sad and utterly horrific and despicable stories um presented or hidden in plain sight Mm -hmm. um that uh and it's really good because it's not something certainly we would have known about that case um or that incident and um that that's great feedback thanks so yeah. much will be uh for that um again, yeah re- what a sad story though absolutely um, to mm-hmm. be honest yeah thanks so much for that well um final piece of feedback from our wonderful friend steve brown on voicemail hey guys it's steve and this is for uh episode uh, three of lovecraft country um wow there was a whole lot going on in this episode trying to to pin down the whole days and and who is what and wow uh i'm gonna have to definitely watch it again uh so i'll be doing that watching it again maybe i'll try to send something in before you send out uh the next episode on four but uh wow it's really is a good good wow it's a good episode um just way a lot happening. All right, I'll uh, add to this in a minute, or a day or two. So I'm I'm rewatching now, and two things jumped out at me that I wanted to get on here before I forgot. Uh, so they jump from day two to day eight with the the housewarming party, and then I didn't I couldn't tell what the Ouija board spelled out after George. So hopefully uh, I've got your episode three podcast downloaded. It's queued up next so hopefully uh it'll show you guys were able to catch what it uh, what was spelled out and so much better when you actually are able to watch the whole thing um while you're still awake and coherent i realized the last time i watched it i must have uh, fallen asleep uh, i don't know how i fell asleep well i know how i fell asleep but anyway uh, wow, such a good episode. I really, I've only watched it twice. So I really want to watch it again, even, but I need to get this in, uh, to you guys. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. I can't wait to hear, I can't wait to see the rest of this season. It's, uh, really good. I, I like, you know, if they're going to do kind of an individual story each time, it might be interesting to see how they, how they do it and what happens. But, uh, yeah, I can't wait to listen to the, 
podcast about this one, guys. Talk to you later. Thanks so much for that, Steve. Uh, yeah, this, definitely. Episode three was pretty confusing. I wonder how you got on with episode four, because uh, I thought there was even more difficult stuff in this one to piece everything together. This definitely took a couple of views uh, for me to get all my my thoughts together. Um, as for the Ouija board um, that the kids are using, um, I think, it, well, it, it definitely it spells out George to begin with when the kids ask uh, who is it that they're speaking to? And with D in the room, that's her father, effectively. And then it, it goes on to spell George is dead is the is the phrase that's in there. And, and that's when D thinks that the kids are playing a practical joke on her and runs off into the house. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, that's that's what's in there with the Ouija board. Yeah. Thanks so much, Steve, uh, for the feedback. Yeah. Really glad you're enjoying it because it is it's it's so enjoyable as a TV show and it's fascinating. Just the storylines and the context, everything about it is fascinating. It's really great, great TV. Absolutely. Um, and this episode similarly is just great. I think actually for dreadful podcast, for TV podcast industries, I think we're on a really rich uh, vein of TV shows that mm-hmm. we're covering right back for with Watchmen as yeah, well but I mean all the shows dare I say um, that we've covered are great but just the consistent high level and I, I think just because there's so much that I think we're learning from a show like this and mm-hmm. um, same with Watchmen same with City of Angels with Penny Dreadful and yeah. um, that it feels really rich and interesting fascinating you know, in parts fascinating, in parts frightening. Exactly. Um, uh, in terms of the horror and the reality and what people of color experienced in like 50s US and before and, and after yeah. and since. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, wow. I know in this episode, sort of tying it into certain things happening um, are on this side of the Atlantic as well. Definitely really, really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for that, Steve. And thanks to everybody else for all of your feedback. Uh, really good to hear from all of you. Please keep sending it in. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much to everyone who provided their, their feedback. Really good questions, theories, mm-hmm. discussions, corrections, corrections. <laughs> uh, you name it. Um, really, really good. Um, so interesting. Uh, to get your thoughts on it uh, and thanks so much for joining us you know we hope you stay subscribed to the podcast and if you enjoy uh, what you hear why not share it with your friends sharing the podcast is sharing the love mm-hmm. uh, for sure um, you can also if you want to subscribe and support us over on patreon.com forward slash tv podcast industries but With that, we will be moving on to episode five next week when we will be back with Lovecraft Country season one, episode five, Strange Case. Mm -hmm. Yes, I imagine there will be lots of strangeness in episode five and can't wait to see it. Definitely, definitely looking forward to more Lovecraft Country next week. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you again next time. Bye. Yeah, thank you, fellow Dreadfuls, for joining us. It's, as always, a pleasure speaking with you. Remember, keep watching, keep listening, and keep discovering. Just don't go into any cavernous vaults, otherwise you may be going down a big hole. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, you might be walking all the way from Boston to (laughs) Chicago. Uh, Bye. Bye. Bye.